You're listening to iFanboy Talks Explode, Iron Man Extremist Motion Comic with Ruan J. Teleki. Welcome to another edition of iFanboy Talks Explode. My name is Ron Richards, and this time around we're talking about motion comics, specifically Marvel Comics' entry into motion comics, namely Iron Man Extremis. We're going to be talking to Ruan J. Teleki, who works at Marvel, specifically on the Iron Man Extremis project and other motion comics projects, and we talk about what makes motion comics, why Marvel's doing it, uh, why the difference between animation and motion comics, all the questions you might have about motion comics for Marvel, Ruan is here to answer. So let's hear what he's got to say. <laughs> I'm here Ruan J. Teleki from Marvel. How are you doing, sir? I am doing okay. It's a warm, sunny day in New York, so I don't have much to complain about. Doesn't get, much, doesn't, doesn't get worse <laughs> than that, right? <laughs> so so uh, before we dive in and start talking about the uh, Iron Man Extremis motion comic, uh, why don't you let the folks know uh, what you do at Marvel? Because I have here your title. You're the Senior VP of Development and Planning, Print, Animation, and Digital Media. Media. So what does that mean? Um, I really work on different aspects of um, Marvel business for Dan Buckley, who's my boss. He's the CEO of uh, publishing, animation, and uh, digital media. And basically what I do, I think, for um, publishing is, I think most people know this, is I procure a lot of the third-party licenses and manage those uh, relationships, so the Stephen Kings, the Orson Scott Cards, the Halos, a lot of these like sort of high-profile brands that we've brought in to do comic book serialization and uh, collections of. Um, beyond that, in terms of digital, obviously, and animation is really the motion comics. Up until recently, I was running the Icon line. Oh, wow. Uh, so, you know, kick-ass and running the Icon line, not in terms of editorial. I, I want to be clear with that because they, they have respective uh, editors in-house or out-of-house. Uh, but my job was basically to come in, bring the deals to the table, close them, and then manage the relationships with, let's say, Mark and Johnny for kick-ass or, uh, you know, Ed Brubaker for, you know, Criminal Incognito. And obviously, Brian had a long-standing relationship with Marvel prior to my being here, so you know, just sort of uh, pushing things along on powers. I think the last big broad stroke changes, not changes, but things that I brought to the table was really bringing um, the digital comic rights for most of our um, better selling icon titles to Marvel. So I think that that was part of the C2E2 announcements, I think, you know, was that, you know, a lot of the icon titles were, you know, being offered through our third party apps uh, separately from, let's say the Marvel app per se. And um, more recently right now, I'm working on, uh, along with the Disney publishing worldwide folks in terms of, uh, how do I explain this? All the Marvel licensed publishing that was once done in-house, so I would go out, cut the deals, manage the relationships with the respective publishers. He'd be doing like the Iron Man tie-in or the Incredible Hulk movie tie-ins and stuff like that. Now Disney Publishing Worldwide would be managing like all those different books, whether it be coloring books or novelizations, et cetera, gift books, and so forth. So right now I just sort of manage that relationship day-to-day with the Disney folks. So going through their uh, you know, strategy plan or just working out basically the operational workflow or you know, just sort of guiding them through through sort of like the the Marvel DNA of, you know, how they should best, you know, take these uh 
you know, separate character franchises and, you know, let them loose either through their Disney publishing group in terms of children's books or licensing them out to um, better experts within those sort of formats. Like, so, you know, the DKs of the world who do our reference books and so forth. So uh, I think those things were basically announced at, uh, out of the Bologna book fair, but I've been working pretty closely with them. And, you know, Dan obviously has been hands-on as well because it's a pretty important relationship and revenue stream. Sure. Absolutely. Marvel. Yeah. yeah. The whole, the whole Disney stuff's got to be interesting in terms of, you know, educating Disney on what you guys do and you guys learning about how Disney works. And I'm sure it's a, no, I mean, they've, they've done a really good job of, you know, the learning curve. I mean, I, and I'm really just talking about Disney publishing worldwide because I really haven't dealt with the other parts. I don't want to, <laughs> speak out of turn, but, you know, they've, they've been really great and receptive and excited to be, you know, working on this aspect of the business. So, you know, it's not comic books or graphic novels, but, you know, obviously a lot of this sort of content, whether it be coloring books or storybooks or digest readers, et cetera, for kids is something that legitimizes this content to parents that it's not just, let's say, about toys and things that, you know, parents might see as non-educational, that, you know, there's still a learning aspect to it. And anything that gets kids to read and sort of unglue themselves from television is yeah. always a good thing. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, coloring books are the wave of the future. I hope you hop on it. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, so, but don't worry, we're not going to be taking, like, David Finch art and letting kids draw that. <laughs> that'd that'd be cool. Then. That'd be kind of neat, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I actually always thought that, you know, how funny, because, you know, a lot of us, you know, and I, I would say like fans of the comic book medium, and I, I can't say like I'm a super fan, like a lot of other people could totally school me knowledge wise, but I always thought for us older fans who have this ambition of thinking we can draw, but really can't, but really what we want to do is color in our favorite yeah. art. <laughs> I think there'd be a total market for, you know, taking these like really great you know, cinematic pieces of art and letting people go to town with it. I, I still think the art would probably look crappy if I did it, but sure, I think yeah. it'd be a lot better than if I were drawing Moon Knight myself or something. Well, well I, I actually know a bunch of uh, people with kids who buy the Essentials books, the black and white reprints on the newsprint, and give them to their kids as big coloring books. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, which is I, like, I <laughs> yeah, like un- unintended use of the printing, but like that's a great, you know, it's a great, it's a great way to stoke the imagination <laughs> of kids and stuff like that. But anyway, so, okay, so you I'm are, sorry. yeah, you're we a little diversion. You're a busy guy. It sounds like you're doing a ton of stuff, but you're also kind of overseeing all the motion comic stuff, as you mentioned. Um, and we're, we're here to talk about Iron Man Extremis, um, which is the current motion. What? Co- What's Iron Man Extremis? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so, so for, for the, the uninitiated, what? Um, and, and actually, you know, I think it's extremist. Extre- oh, okay. And the only reason why I think it's extremist is, you know, I, when I first started this project, I called Tom and I was like, is it extremist or extremist? And yeah. he always, I don't think Warren, maybe Warren did tell him, but he said, like, I always thought it as extremist as in extremist, oh, you know, like, the, yeah, yeah. you know, or something like that. But, you know. Uh, I think everyone pronounces it differently because even though I keep saying it's extremist, other people keep saying it's extremist. Yeah, well, that's the leave it I'm sure to, people on the West Coast are like extreme. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and of course, leave it to comic fans to find seven different ways to pronounce a word. I mean, I know personally, me, I I said ma- uh, Magneto up until the movies came out. I was like, oh, it's Magneto. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. someone else shares that uh, <laughs> affliction here at Marvel, and they get they get. Totally terrorized because of it at any sort of retreat. They say, I won't name the editor, but, or the the senior editor, but he says, like, 
Magneto. <laughs> what did he say? Submariner. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but I'll let you ferret out yeah. who that person is. But I'll, I'll say it's not Tom Brevoort okay. or Axel Alonso. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, so Iron Man Extremist. So, um, so you know, with the Iron Man, Iron Man Two just opened, and um, you know, it came to no surprise to see that you guys do an Iron Man uh, motion comic. Why did you guys choose Extremist as the, to get the motion comic treatment for Iron Man? I mean, I, I, could I just uh, do a little bit of historical? Oh, sure. So you know, yeah, I so you know the first motion comic quote we did, and we really um, did the visual production on with an outside house was Stephen King's N, and that sort of kicked things off for us. So you know, we partnered up with Simon and Schuster, Steve's publisher, and uh, CBS Mobile. You know, since Simon and Schuster and CBS, I think are part of the same quote corporate family. You know, we produced that project. I think it went was really great. It was a great piece of content. I think for Simon Schuster, they were like, you know, this is a great marketing vehicle for Steve's book that that year, his anthology called um, Just After Sunset. You know, and then actually, I sort of dropped out of the motion comic game after that. And um, you know, they had some folks start up Spider Woman and AXM, and then there were. I wouldn't say like I'm a motion comics expert and I came in and solved a bunch of problems, but I jumped in sort of later into those projects in terms of the development cycle and, you know, got those projects through in 09. And really, um, other than Stephen King's end, that, you know, Iron Man Extremist is really the pro- the only project other than that that I've built from the ground up and actually the first, quote, Marvel project I built from the ground up. So I got to go uh, work with some people in-house and figure out who the vendor was going to be, and that ended up being Magnetic Dream Studios, which was awesome. We ended up bringing back the um, the casting folks uh, and sound folks from uh, AXM, which were Edge Studio and Underground Music, and um, then we brought in another company called NYAV to do all the mixing and um, Ascent Media to do all the mastering. But anyway, I don't want to diverge. I think the, the reason really why I picked Extremists and you know, we were sitting there and obviously Iron Man 2 has come, you know, you know, this was about maybe seven months ago, six or seven months ago. You know, we were talking about Iron Man and what stories we could do. And, you know, I think literally at the same time, Dan and I had said we should totally do Iron Man Extremists. And obviously, I think from Dan's point of view, it was, you know, it, it, it relaunched sort of like the, the Iron Man continuity, I think, in terms of the Marvel Universe. At least that's my stamp, like my viewpoint on it. And um, and I think from my point of view is I've just always been like a really big fan of Warren Ellis. So the chance to sort of not muck up something he, <laughs> he <Yeah>. created. <laughs> and, you know, obviously Audie's artwork is gorgeous. I mean, I, I don't I think you'd find very few people who'd argue with that. And it lends itself, I feel, to motion comics because it has that very realistic feel and sort of movement um, and all those little subtleties to sort of like the way he lenses um, screens and sort of renders them. And that was really kind of my, my start on it. I mean, part of it was like the, you know, the geekiness on my part, but the other part was really to take a, a really great story and see if we could take it to a different sort of medium and, enhance certain elements of it without changing sort of the, you know, the key tenets of what makes that story so great. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think for, uh, and obviously everyone knows this because they've, most people have seen the Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie, and hopefully they've read Iron Man extremists, but 
you know, they were, I think, uh, well, I think what's, you know, they obviously took some sort of inspiration in parts of the first movie from Warren's book, I would oh, say. Yeah, you totally. know, I don't, and and Adi, Adi, Adi consulted on the suit design for both movies, I believe. Yes, I believe. I mean, I, I know definitely for the first film and I think on some aspect of the second film. And, um, you know, for me, I think what, what was great about that is, you know, the story had, you know, a slight bit of connectivity to the films, but it really sort of sat on its own. So no one would ever mistake the the Tony Stark in, you know, Iron Man Extremist for, you know, the spectacular job that Robert Downey Jr. does. And I think in a way it was a nice sort of, comprom- not compromise, but situation where we did have a little bit of connectivity to the movie um, sort of continuity, but not really. And at the same time, we were allowed to go out and tell our own story because I think, you know, if our story was too close to what they were doing in either film per se, I think they would have been like, you know, this, I think we try to, obviously we respect the studios and all the great work and efforts that they put in. So we would never want to sort of step on that. But, you know, as soon as, you know, I had, um, emailed a couple of folks uh, at the studios. They were like, no, totally go ahead with it. Kevin was like, sounds great. And, um, you know, from there, we just started building the project and I really got to go off and go to town in terms of the creative and um, bringing sort of a different uh, expectation to what a motion comic could be. And I think for a while, I think the, the term itself sort of ghettoized the product in a way or the content because really what you're looking at is you're looking at animation. I mean, some, obviously the people on the net are going to be like, this is crude animation. I saw this in like the 1960s or something. And I was like, well, that was good storytelling back then. And we're still going to use techniques from that. But I think what we tried to push here were, you know, the ideas of a 3d environment or at least the 3d modeling and CGI and, you know, really bringing, you know, really making all the components of the storytelling work in, both like in seamlessly, but also so they stand on their own. So, you know, that music score is, uh, you know, amazing. That's, you know, it's, you know, a guy named Amats Plutzer who basically had, uh, you know, a full orchestra recorded and then enhanced it, obviously, you know, with um, electronic. And then, you know, we have, you know, Edge Studios who cast it and did the sound design for this and sound effects. And then obviously Magnetic Dreams who, you know, built and directed this, you know, fantastic visual experience for fans. So I, you know, I really tried to look at it as more of, um, you know, giving animation, quote, traditional animation a run for its money, because I think we did a, I think, and obviously, you know, I'm biased or, you know, Stockholm syndrome or whatever. <laughs> Stockholm. <But, laughs> I've been, you know, <laughs> inside too long. Right? <laughs> yeah, I've been in, in on the inside too long. It's like, uh, what is it like deep undercover? Yeah. <laughs> Probably like York. You don't know which way is up or down, but you know, my, my goal, and I, I think it's a bold one and I think it's probably annoying to some people in the animated world to produce great animation and they do fantastic stuff and they're working with multi-million dollar budgets and they're on TV or movies or Hulu or, you know, whatever, whatever is that, you know, I really want to say like we can, we with, these more sort of simpler tools per se, but um, great content and um, high production value could, you know, turn out a piece of, you know, and digitally animated content that really could compete with some of the big boys. And I think 
not only are we seeing it in the comments on iTunes and et cetera, or the emails that we're getting, but I think we're seeing it in really the sales uh, of it. I mean, you know, the first two motion comics, I think um, Spider-Woman and AXM did, you know, well. But, I mean, those two episodes, Iron Man Extremists, you know, they're hanging on the top ten of animation. You know, we finally unlocked the season pass to it. It's, you know, been on the top ten of overall TV on iTunes. I think when we launched, we were like the top... HD television show on um, like the PSN. Um, you know, we were like the number two episode there. I haven't gotten any new Sony stuff. And on the Xbox, we're like the most active selling piece of animation on there of Marvel content. So obviously we're, we're connecting with someone. I mean, if it's all our same fans, I, I mean, I'm really happy about that. But I'm, I'm thinking we're starting to lure a different you know, a different, maybe outside the cusp consumer to this content because we're putting it on multiple platforms. You know, we, we've done a fairly good job of marketing it. There are, um, you know, a couple of marketing initiatives hitting this week that you'll find out about that. Hopefully we'll raise the awareness outside of the film, just generally raising the awareness of the character. And um, I don't know, I, I've been really happy w with the reception. I, I mean, I know some people are still well, you know, there are these sort of uncanny or strange moments in the motion comic. And, you know, I think that's to be understood because, you know, when Adi, Adi visualized this story, he never imagined that any of those comic panels or or anything were going to be put to motion. And, you know, I, I think this is a credit to sort of Magnetic Dreams, um, you know, directing all of the episodes and really bringing this really tight lens and camera work to it and, um, great production value to the to the CGI in 3D. I, I think it, it's worked out really well, and they've managed to not let me muck up things with <laughs> <laughs> creative comments like yeah. Yeah, add a giant mechanical spider or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, well, well, I wanted I wanted to touch on you know a little a little bit earlier you were commenting on the you know the, some of the criticisms or or opinions of the term motion comics, and and it sounds like you you in your in in your guys' approach have a clear delineation of this is what motion comics is and this is what animation is. How, you know, so how do you define what motion comics are? Because a lot of people say this is just animation. I mean, these are just you're animating the comic. And with so many projects like what DC's doing with you know adapting stories, and even what Marvel's been doing with their own kind of you know you know animation DVD lines, how how are, how are motion comics different? Is it the episodic release of it, or is it something in the production of the story? I mean, I, I think that, you know the the general bow of motion comics is that you know the content in some format is comic book content. I mean, I think that's the, you know, that's the initial hook, okay. you know, whether the content is uh, retrofitted into sort of a motion comic or it's built up to be used as a motion comic and simultaneously as a, a print comic, sort of like Stephen King's N or, um, you know, Alex's and ben, um, Brian's uh, Spider-Woman uh, series were, I think the thing with motion comics, and this is like my problem with the term itself, and I'm not saying it's a bad term or a good term or any sort of term, is I, I think the part of the problem is we don't have enough of this content to really define what it is. I think, in my mind, it's an aspect of animation. And, and it's an aspect of animation because we're not, we're not doing full-blown um, 3D animation and, and CGI yet. We, we're getting there. I mean, I think if anything extreme is proved is like we can do some pretty spectacular visual stuff. Um, 
you know, when we have some talented people behind the, you know, the software and the camera and, and everything else. But, you know, and I think it really goes back to what I was saying before is like, in terms of me, and, and I'm not talking about Marvel animation or DC animation or any animation in particular, I'm just talking about generally when I look at animation on TV, it, it just sometimes feels really lazy and sort of like not that engaging or compelling. And I think there are a lot of people out there who would buy into animation and not think of it as just kiddie stuff if there was content delivered to them that they felt was like on level, dramatic, engaging. You know, they had a, a perceived sense of, uh, you know, high value, high quality to it. And, and I'm not saying, and I think what's ended up happening is people are starting to understand just because something is rendered fully motion does not mean that it's awesome in terms of content. I think a lot of times what you see on TV is the same thing. You see the same sort of lens shot. You see the same sort of camera movements. Um, you see the same sort of level of music scoring, which is, often seems like pretty generic to me. And, and I'm not just talking about TV, but just generally things you, you know, that you think are, you know, these gigantic, you know, multi-million dollar productions, they're, they're not that compelling or gripping. And I, and I think what sort of these motion comics that are succeeding is doing is showing like, Hey, we can take really great comic book stories, um, you know, take them to this sort of different entertainment space and do something with them where, not only the core comic fan is going to come and support it, but also these people who, you know, they don't necessarily want to watch quote kid level cartoons. You know, they're open to the idea of watching animated content as much as they are uh, live action TV and films or a book they're going to open. And I, and I think the thing is about defining motion comics is I think my goal is to constantly either raise that bar of production value or um, content that we can bring to the space. Cause ultimately that's what that's going to get your ret- like the returning customer and the returning fan. It's not just the idea you do one really good and then, you know, you sort of, you know, phone in the rest of them and hope that you can ride out the wave of one project. I mean, you know, the next project that we're going to be working on, we're going to, you know, push the levels of animation to, in different aspects to another level. And I I think that's, that's the important thing. Like, and I'm not going to sit here and point fingers in terms of the motion comic space, but there are some companies that are releasing things that I feel are, you know, that's the reason why people are like, oh, that's like rudimentary animation and it's, it's not good and this and that, and there's not a lot of production value to it. I mean, if you're going to be, have a seat at the table and make this work, then you've got to put like your best product or meal out there for people to feast on. You can't, you know, you know, you, you just can't like TV dinner in it. And, and that would, that's really a slight to TV dinner. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, they've evolved over you, the years, you know, they're much. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and I'm a fan of TV dinner. So, you know, I just feel like you can't just glop this out and say, yeah. well, we're going to depend on our fans to support it. And we're going to hook some people who, sort of recognize the characters because of a film or a major movie event or, or some sort of astounding promotion. And, you know, that's the value of the content. Now the value of the content is the value of the content. It should be good. It shouldn't just be about awareness and awareness is a huge part of making and converting the consumer and making the sale and having them come back. But what's going to keep them to say is like, they're, they're feeling like they got something of value at the end of the day that, 
not only they feel its value, but they're going to talk about it to someone else. And again, not to point fingers, but there are some companies that are just releasing this stuff because, and I, I have no idea why they're doing it because it, you know, it's pretty regular, you know, it's, you know, pretty erratic, you know, the quality is neither here nor there. And, and it just seems like, you know, there's no plan at hand. And I'm not saying like, you know, Marvel has this grand strategy, but at least we're taking this seriously because we know that, you know, at the end of the day, whether we're selling like 10,000 or a million of these, someone, someone that, you know, is a Marvel fan or could be a Marvel fan is plunking down their money to buy this. And, you know, you know, why, why give them the opportunity to walk away and say like, Oh, you know, I just got a douchey piece of content and now I'm never going to go into a comic book store. I'm going to think twice about walking into a superhero movie. I'm going to think twice about buying whatever. And, you know, everything is about creating that consumer experience that feels 360 that when you go into the movies, a Marvel movie, you're, you're going to get a great experience when you walk into, you know, a retail store and you buy some of our product from our licensees or from us or, you know, a comic book, it's going to be good product. And, you know, when you go to iTunes, Xbox Live or PSN that, you know, the motion comics, you know, stand on their own, they're good content. And, you know, in general, you can see like there's a perceived value to it. And, you know, you feel like that after you've purchased it. And that's not to say we're not going to have our critiques. You're going to say like, you know, that sucks, LOL, you got pwned or something like that. I mean, there are always going to be those people who are going to be like, this is not, this is not what comic books should become or be replaced by. And, and those are, those things are, are not agenda points on my part. Like I don't see motion comics as relate replacing comics, nor do I see them as, you know, a comic book itself. I, I think it's something different because I think, you know, for maybe a core fan or someone like me who can enjoy a comic book for 10 or 15 minutes if we read it really slowly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) um, You know, there are at least as many people or a a multiple of that many people who don't want to read comic books. And, you know, you know, that makes me sad and, you know, fair enough and all that, all that, you know, in the middle sort of verbiage I have to give. But, you know, if we can give them a piece of content where they don't really know that it's a comic book story, but understand that it's Marvel, it's Iron Man, I sort of like Iron Man, I like, you know, compelling, engaging sort of intelligent stories. And, you know, if we can get them to buy into that, then, you know, we've we've got them one foot closer to going in and having them buy the actual trade or buying something else by Warren Ellis or buying something by Adi Granoff or buying something, you know, the Matt Fraction and La Roca run on, you know, Invincible Iron Man right now. Well, yeah, well, that, that was kind of my question is like, who do you guys see as the motion comic audience? Is it is it a way to get people who aren't exposed to comics to sample and be like, oh, that's cool and go and go try then read the book? Or is it the target at huge Iron Man fans who want to see their favorite, you know, favorite story by Warren Ellis get, you know, get motion comic, you know, you know, or is it a combination of all of them? I- I think it, I think it's a combination of all of that. I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I would definitely say, obviously, a segment of the audience is core co- comic consumers in some aspect, whether they buy comics or trades or graphic novels or they walk into hobby shops or they order on Amazon or they've been lapsed fans and now they're coming back because of the movies or animation or video games or, you know, great merchandise. But I think the thing about motion comics is we get to throw a wider net because we're on 
either distribution points or on portables that, you know, there are a lot more people who have those those sort of access points than they do in terms of the, the general um, comic book consumer audience. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and I think it's sort of like yeah. you're, you know, obviously iTunes is sort of like this gigantic gateway towards a lot of people. You know, a fair amount of the, a lot of those people are not going to go and buy motion comics, but not a lot of them are going to, um, you know, buy app games either. So, you know, our audience is really probably targeting comic book fans, um, people who are aware of the movies, who want more content, but obviously, you know, the movies are every two or three years or, you know, every year in terms of us. Right. <laughs> um, Nice. Well done. <laughs> you see these like really subtle jabs, not, but I'm not throwing any hooks or uppercuts. No, not you know, at all. You've no, noticed no. that. I can read um, it between the lines. I don't know if other people will. <laughs> but but uh, no, I mean, I think it's ca- it's casting a wider net. But I mean, do I think that wider net is like 30 million people? No, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not crazy about the expectations. What I think is this is about growing a base of content that people respect and like, and that they'll, they'll constantly come back to and say, Marvel or X company does this right. This is something that I can buy into. I can take it on the go. I can watch it at the gym. You know, I can watch it at on my iMac 27 inch HD. You know, I can boot it up on my Xbox live uh, plat form or my uh, PS3 or take it on the go on my PSP. But, you know, I mean, are, are we unrealistic about what the audience base is? No. But I mean, have we gotten a really fully gauged number on them? Probably not either, because I don't think there's enough of this motion content amongst all the creators to really say like, you know, it's not like we have, you know, three or 400 hours worth of content, you know, literally, I mean, probably, maybe there's like 20 or 30 hours, you know, amongst all the companies who've produced it. And I noticed some of it isn't even on iTunes anymore. So I, I don't even know what that means for those companies, but I feel like they went in, it didn't work out and then they dropped out. But, you know, my hope is, you know, we opened really strongly and it seems like we're trending really. Uh, I think I was talking to, uh, one of my colleagues here, and, and he said we're, you know, we're tracking like 125% of what our forecast was, which is amazing. Yeah, you know, well, I was, I was going to ask, what is, you know, like, what is success for these projects? Like, is success sales or just a good product put out there? Or, you know, like, I'm sure it's sales, you know, making money off of it. But. Uh, failure is when I sent out that note to all my former colleagues. <laughs> hey, it's been great Thanks knowing for you. the memory. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I think um, success for we're succeeding at this. We we're we're putting our chips in, and we're we're saying that we we can make this work. We're, I mean, I can't say what it is, but we're gonna we're greenlining a lot of projects within the motion comics realm, and I can't make the announcement yet because it's not my announcement to make. But we have a we have a a commitment here to at least creating you know, X amount of hours of content per year for the next few years, because we feel it's a viable business model. Now, you know, Marvel isn't this company that, you know, bleeds money where, you know, we're, we're very opportunistic and we, we look at things both objectively and strategically. And we, we try to find out whether there's a business model there to build and then make money from it. And we would definitely never, um, enter this sort of content space if we didn't think we could make it work within the next year or two. 
um, you know, extremists is proving that. Now, and what I was going to say is opening huge is one thing, um, sustaining sales and uh, still collecting interest at, let's say, six months from now or a year from now is going to really be the true test. You know, you know, once we run, a, let's say next year we run a new promotion and we're like, I don't know, Iron Man Extremists, we're, we're doing director's cuts or we're adding new content or whatever, you know, whatever it is. It's our ability to continue to market this content and make it feel fresh, even though it's a year old or two years old. And that's a challenge of any company that creates um, entertainment content or it produces anything is making the consumer feel like this is still a relevant purchase. You know, it's a worthwhile purchase. And, you know, it remains to be seen. You know, we've only been doing this really for the last two years. Um, but, you know, I don't see myself getting pink slipped anytime soon. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming that we're committed to doing this, and which means that we're succeeding at it. I mean, you know, number, numbers at, at this point are all relative, you know. I mean, it, we're, we're probably riding part of a wave of Iron Man movie frenzy. Um, we're riding probably a lot of fans of Warren and Adi and sure, but that, but that's part that's part of it though. Being in the right place at the right time though, right? I mean, like, right. You know, it, it wouldn't make sense to to roll out a uh, a Fantastic Four motion comic right now, even though Hickman and Englisham are doing great on the book. But the, there's no why not? Movie. Damn it! <laughs> no, but there's no you know there's no movie like it, it like like that's why I said when when you know when you guys announced that Iron Man was the next motion comic, it's like right that makes sense because Iron Man is going to be the in the movie. A lot of people will be talking about it. That uh, that makes sense. Yeah, so. No, no, I mean, and, and I agree, but, and I think, you know, the, the general, and, uh, see, I don't want to say, like, mainstream consumers, because I don't want to say, like, we're the nerds, and we know everything, and, you know, they're sort of like the the cattle, you know, just roaming around or something, but I think the general consumers are are buying content that they want, you know, they're they're buying content that they feel is intelligent, or, you know, scratches one of their sort of entertainment wants, and you know, I, I think you probably say this yourself. In probably the last five years, we've all seen, you know, consumers become so savvy about what they buy and not buy. Like people aren't just buying stuff because it was the number one movie, and they're not just buying stuff because to buy it. Like even myself, you know, I used to be a heavy gamer, and every time there was a new system released, I'd buy it despite the fact that I would never play it. Right, yeah, you know? I've, been, I've been down that road before. <laughs> right, so, you know, I've pro probably bought a bunch of both uh, console platforms and um, games just because I bought into the hype. But you don't, you may still have that buy these days, but it's not as big as it used to be, and I think you can see it both in sales numbers across a lot of different media you know, about whether it be video games or movies or what have you. And, you know, part of it is, you know, sort of the digital monetization and it being this growing part of, quote, the business model. But I think part of it is also people are, are smart and being smarter about spending and, you know, they're counting their dollars. And I, I wouldn't even just blame it on, you know, what people call macroeconomic, you know, um, effects or causes or what have you, you know, these things that are happening on a grand scale in terms of unemployment and so forth. But I, I think people have been programmed to become smarter about the purchases they make in terms of entertainment, because you only really do have a certain amount of money that you can spend on that. And, you know, you want to spend it wisely because you want to spend it on stuff that you're actually not only just going to enjoy, but actually use and purpose again. You know, I, I think the days of people p 
piling up DVDs in their libraries that they never watch is probably over. I mean, I, I know a few of those people, unfortunately, because they're my friends, but <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was one of those too. I mean, it was funny. We were just having that conversation with someone. How I, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, new movie come out every Tuesday. I'd buy it and it would go on the shelf. And I, I mean, I, actually, I think literally Fantastic Four uh, two is uh, still in the plastic, sitting on my shelf. I have. I just never opened it. Yeah, you know? I like the movie. I just never. You know, I have no time to watch it. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, 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 and the other thing is just like me from a very, you know. Working at an entertainment company, obviously valuing content. I mean, obviously you're developing content as well for your podcast and so forth. You you know, you want everything to be worthwhile. And even in my own sense, like a big part of, you know, working in any industry in, in some capacity is you get stuff for free. Like, so let's say you work in publishing, you get books for free and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's having a conversation um, with a few people in the industry, both in comics and not comics. And I told them to take me off their comp list. And the reason why I said that is I, I think in a way we're programming people within the industry at times to not value the content we produce because we give it away. And what I've sort of forced myself to do when I've been taken off these comp lists is to go walk into retail, look on the internet for books that I think I'll like, get recommendations from people. Like I used to not do that because I used to get everything for free. And I, and I think what ends up happening is like once you start devaluing the content, then everyone is just like, ah, it's not worth it. I should just, you know, bit torrented or something like that. But if you if you communicate that it's, you know, valued content and you actually do what you say and say what you do, then I, I think there's a there's a perception that the things that you know are being produced, whether they be print or digital or on gaming consoles or you know on the big screen, they're worthwhile to go and experience them as they should be. You go, you pay for it, and you you get this entertainment experience that you can walk away and talk about, whether it be good or bad. And I think what it's forced me to do is go out and find books that I typically wouldn't read or, you know, I, you know, I, at C2E2, I probably spent like two or $300 on graphic novels. And that's probably the first time I've done that in a while because I haven't been getting any books for free or anything like that. I've actually gone out and been like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought I'd read something like that, but let me pick it up. Yeah, it, may, it, and, makes, you, you it know, makes you identify what you really actually do want versus, you know, getting so, you know, getting so much. And I think, I think a lot of, especially as the economy, you know, continues in the directions that it goes up or down or whatever. I think a lot of fans are making the same decisions as, you know, what books have I been buying or what via media do I buy because of out of habit or actually out of wanting, you know, and I think it's a tough question that a lot of us have to ask, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally depressing to me to see books pile up either at my apartment um, or at the office or wherever, or at a friend's place that, um, and they're not being read and, you know, obviously we could get those books to someone who wants to read it or in someone's hands, you'd be interested in it. And, you know, I think the biggest challenge for anyone producing content, whether it be you, me, you know, the guy down the street or the guys up the street is, you know, we have to start talking about this content and adding a perceived value to it. It's not just about assigning this A-list talent to it or that or this or that. It's really making people understand that, you know, a lot of hours and time and effort goes into this stuff. And no, you shouldn't go to the BitTorrent and read it. Like, you you know, go spend your dollars on books that you want to read and support. And, you know, I hear both sides of the argument about the BitTorrent and, and not. And, you know, obviously I, I'm standing on the other side of it where I'm saying, like, you know, if you're selling content, you know, people should go out and pay for it, not 
sort of evade that. But, you know, there, there are arguments on the other side that sort of go against what I say. But, you know, I, what I see a lot in this industry, and, and this goes back to, um, and I'm not pointing any fingers, is like, you know, this idea of tossing out content, um, people going and buying it, being dissatisfied with it. See, I'm not mad because they're dissatisfied with it. I'm just mad because like, why do that? You know, you, you just, it's not about bad content or good content because it's all in whoever's viewing it. But you know, why have a consumer walk away with a bad experience? Like not only have you taken that opportunity away from me and yourself in the future, but you've probably shut down, you know, their want of ever going into a hobby shop and exploring or, and stuff like that, because their word of mouth is going to be like, yeah, I watched that motion comic or I watched that animation or I watched, you know, whatever. And it totally sucked. And, you know, I got burned. So therefore I'm never going to support it. And I'm not saying that everyone's uniformly like that, but why even sort of engender that sort of reaction? You know, if if you're going to go out and produce content and, and I say this about movies or animation or, you know, video games is, you know, you know, do it as well as you can. Like don't, you know, not everything's going to be like this grand epic sort of, masterpiece but you know obviously people sell what they have to sell but you know at least try I mean you know a lot of times and this goes back to animation I'll turn on the television and I won't say what channel (laughs) and I'll be like what (laughs) because I didn't because it's like not that you're paying for it for cable or whether it's on broadcast but you just took like an hour of my time or half an hour that you know I was willing to roll the dice and you know, put in and like, now I feel horrible. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, t- it's tough. I mean, and, and it's, that's part of the, you know, the creative, you know, the creating something that is artistic in the degree that it is, but also treating it as a product. It's a tough, yeah. you know, kind of balance, but back to Iron Man, um, extremist. So, uh, we've got, uh, two episodes have been released so far, right? I believe so. Yes. The, the, and, uh, episode three comes out this Wednesday, which is the, well, yep, yeah. yep, and um, actually, this podcast is going to be coming out on that day. So go, everybody, go out and check it out. So, uh, so tell us, you know, kind of where are we at in the story? Is now when you do the like, does the do the episodes match the issues of extremists? Absolutely, they have. Okay, so Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you know, you'll notice with episode one, it was like a extra big episode because I believe that issue was um, a larger page count. So I think it was you know thirty two pages. So, so we've already seen sort of the setup of where Tony is in his life. You know, he's, you know, he's in this sort of place where he, you know, he wants to walk away from his past of being, you know, a weaponier and, and sort of being this, this idea of this person test piloting the future, you know, ensuring that the future is a better place and making sure that that dream doesn't get compromised because of, you know, weapons he created or, and and I think part of that is, you know, why he's Iron Man is that sort of redeeming himself and being able to look at himself as being better than who he was as just like this normal human being. Um, So you get that sort of set up in episode one, you know, he has the interview with Pillinger and, you know, you, you sort of get like the, the hint of the extremist dose, you know, through the story with, uh, with Maya and the, the two guys in the beginning and Malin are uh, really episode two, two kind of further explores like Tony and sort of his background and this, you know, this idea of test piloting the future and benchmarking it. And, you know, you get a lot of, 
theoretical speak and high concepts from Warren because it, you know that's what you expect from sort of you know Warren Ellis like you know you start thinking about things not just in terms of contemporarily what's happening but really what what the future could be and you know how these sort of concepts of technology and humanity sort of merge together and there and then really what the the great part about setting up is episode 3 you know gives us our first payoff which is you know, the first confrontation between, you know, Iron Man and Malin. And, you know, if you've read the comic book series or, you know, uh, Tony's in for a world of hurt in that, that first meeting. But, um, you know, the one thing I'll say is uh, in terms of episode three, this is really where you're going to see 3D CGI work seamlessly with 2D art. I mean, Magnetic Dreams just did this fantastic job. I mean, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how are they going to have Malin and Tony interact? And you'll see a lot of, you know, action-packed sequences. There are some that are in the comic book, some that are not, uh, scenes that are completely enhanced. I mean, the the music and obviously the, the voice acting, I think, are top-notch, but, you know, that's my opinion. Um, being a POW of uh, motion yeah. comics. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, Really, what you you have in episode three is, I think, what people are waiting for. You know, you, you know, these two sort of opposite forces colliding. You know, the, the bio-enhanced terrorist versus, you know, Tony, this guy who's trying to preserve the future, and Malin, this guy who's basically trying to destroy it or turn back the clock, as he, you know, he says later on in, um, I think, episode four or five. I think episode four. Actually, it might have been episode six, but regardless, I think you have this, you know, these two not only opposing ideologies of, you know, sustaining life and destroying it, um, but you have, you know, two very different characters, Malin and Tony. I mean, you don't get a lot of depth into Malin yet, but I mean, as you see later interactions that he has with other characters and then obviously the big finale you get more of a texture of who he is and, you know, what he's trying to achieve other than, you know, just upping his body count and stuff like that across the United States. And and you get this idea from Tony that, you know, he's trying to basically make sure things like this never happen. And that this idea of the future is something that human beings are better for, not worse off. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in the way that technology plays a role there is pretty fascinating, but I don't think I can talk to it more in depth without giving away, you know, story elements. I know it's not really a spoiler because the comic book's out there, but for that one fan, that one fan who... It's, it's always new to somebody, that's for sure, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, cool. so, <laughs> so you so, won't get that hate mail yeah. because you're spoiled. We'll just route uh, that right so to your yeah. email. That's fine. We'll send it right on yeah. to you. <laughs> but um, cool. So so people can uh, uh, find, like you said, it's uh, in iTunes, Xbox 360, PlayStation Network, um, uh, and also it's at marvel.com slash motion comics, right? I believe that's where the... The, uh, the episodes are not. Yeah. Oh, the episodes I think are not. You can find links to them from there, right? Yeah. I well, iTunes is I think the only place you can you know do direct links to. I think for Xbox Live and PSN. I don't have a PS3. Again, this was my whole decision to just stick with one console. Is um, I think it it uh, I think obviously from the the at least for Xbox Live, I've you know went and purchased it. But um, 
you know, you can direct through the video marketplace. And I would assume that there's sort of a similar interface on the PS3 or the uh, the PlayStation Network um, to get the to get various pieces of content. And you know, as I think new portables and um, distribution channels open up. You know, you'll see Iron Man Extremist as well as the other uh, motion comics there as well. And, you know, um, actually, I think it was announced recently uh, that Shout Factory is actually going to be pressing DVDs, you know, without the books. So I think Marvel is going to be releasing every one of these motion comics, you know, the the original hardcover packed with the DVD. And then obviously um, Shout Factory is just going to be doing the the single DVD with, you know, the episodes, extras, and other stuff that value content that they feel, you know, the fans will want, or a person who just, you know, doesn't want to watch it on their, you know, their iPod or iPhone, but, you know, wants to watch it on their DVD player. I mean, the interesting thing about this is all of these episodes have been, um, you know, mastered for HD and surround sound, so, you know, so you can get, get that total motion comics experience if you have one of those tricked out systems cool and i how, do not yeah <laughs> and how I'm still, many yeah, i'm still stereo but <laughs> nothing wrong with that and um and how many uh how many total episodes will there be uh, at the end of the run uh six episodes for the six comic book issues and um then we wrap it up there's been talk about maybe you know I, this is just a, a thought i've been throwing out there so I don't think anyone can hold me to it is the idea of eventually cutting it together as one feature. And we might be doing that. Yeah. That might be next year though, as you know, a way to sort of renew interest in it. And obviously with Cap and Thor coming out, you know, there'll be this, this further movement towards the idea of the Avengers in 2012. Um, and speaking of Cap and Thor, you know, it, there's a, obviously a very strong chance that, the motion comics that we'll be producing next year in some capacity will touch on those two characters. Oh yes, I would be. I wouldn't be surprised, and um, that should be really interesting to see. You know, because I, I find it fascinating how the the look and feel of the motion comics, you know, from Spider Woman to Astonishing X Men to you know Iron Man Extremists, have just varied. And so, you know, knowing some of the stories that exist for Cap and Thor, just to see how those visually get done. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, every each one of them has their sort of stylistic pluses and the own tone and sort of milieu that they establish, um, and they're very directed towards certain types of audiences. I, I, I think though, extremists and what I try to do here was have a very holistic approach to it. So it's not just going to be on iTunes. You know, we're going to try to get it on as many paid EST channels as possible. You know, the the reason why we picked Extremis is, well, you know, obviously Iron Man fans will hopefully flock to it. But even if you're not an Iron Man fan, it's still a really good story. There's still really great payoffs. You don't have to know, you know, 600 issues of continuity or something or, or know the Marvel verse to, you know, enjoy the motion comic. And, and I, I think doing that you know, picking these sort of pieces of entertainment that are more, let's say, evergreen, I think at the end of the day ends up serving the greater goal, which is to get this content in front of more eyes. And there's nothing against doing motion comics that are continuity-based and so forth, because eventually 
we're going to have to tread there in, in some sort of aspect and figure out how to make those stories understandable to uh, a wider audience base. But, you know, the the only way to grow this industry is by bringing in new readers. I know there, there are a bunch of people who probably would either listen to this podcast or read that, you know, in a transcript, they'll be like, I hate that idea of new people coming in. But, um, you know, that's the only way the industry is going to sustain itself. And, it, and it's so funny going to the conventions and, and, and in general, people being very positive and, um, and wanting to grow not only monthly comic books, but the idea of, you know, kids and adults who've never read them or experienced them, um, pull them into the fold. And then you have this very strange, aggressive other segment of uh, the audience who are like, we hate them. They're the people who are ruining comics because, you know, now the content is being skewed towards them. I, I think, you know, no publisher is out there trying to destroy their fan base. Right. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. That, that's it's the it's the extreme opinion of the the the, the extremist. The, the, yeah, the, the extremist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the um, there's a very vocal, I think, minority that. You know, and that and sometimes, I don't. I don't and, yeah. and I get where they're coming from because you know there's a certain purity that um, they see in uh, you know the comic books that they grew up with or had very seminal moments with, but um, you know that guy in the hobby shop needs new consumers. Like that's, you know, he needs new consistent consumers. I mean, we can always buy more, but that guy's going to need that. You know, the, the brick and mortar book retail store, whether it be, he be an independent or chain, they need new people going through there. It's not just kids or people who love manga, but you know, a whole texture of different audiences and, you know, Motion comics hopefully will provide some of that push, but you know, at the end of the day, it's it's going to be all the different content that the Marvels of the world, or you know, the Dark Horses, or you know, the the Arkeas or the DCs, or whoever produce that's going to make that happen. It, it's not just going to be, I think, one company or two companies. It, it, it's really here a group or team effort. Um, and I think you know, all companies have a ways to go. It's you know, Marvel's not just blazing the trails ahead. I mean, I think a lot of companies are producing great content. I, I think it just, it needs to be done in a more concerted effort. And, and I think it's happening. I think the, the other types of media are bringing new fans to the, uh, to the hobby shops. I, I'm not saying like they're doing it in like these gigantic droves, like the, um, the movie box office, but I, I think more people are open to popping their head into a comic book store or, or diving into, um, you know, the, the graphic novel section or cruising Amazon because of, you know, all the movies, Marvel, DC, and everyone's made, then if we didn't, you know, I, I hate to think of a, you know, a, a present continuum where that those movies didn't get made because everyone always says like, well, the movies didn't lift anything for anyone and they're, you know, they're totally apart and they don't do anything. I, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think people just graduate at different rates to, the comics medium, you know, and it, it's our job to make it as open as possible. I think the moment you start shutting doors and having secret handshakes and codes and stuff like that, you know, you're, you're losing not tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people who potentially might walk in and buy into the content. I mean, I think, you know, if anything proved that any greater, it was, you know, like books like Twilight or Harry Potter, where you got a, a vast vastly different types of audience, you know, going to the movies, buying the books, 
and the merch. And, uh, you know, I, I always think like in terms of quote, the comic books industry and motion comics and all the other content we produce movies and TV shows that, you know, it, it's going to be that same sort of approach that keeps, um, you know, those monthlies viable and profitable and, you know, has us expanding the, the lines because you, you never want to come to the day where the only comic books that you're doing are the ones that are just, you know, super profitable. You know, you want to have those different sort of subgenres. I don't know. I mean, I think you probably as a fan would say the same thing, even if you're not buying every one of those subgenres. Oh yeah. No, like I mean, I think diversity, diversity in the, the various books that are available is key. I mean, that's the, you know, like a lot of what we do is, you know, suggesting what people should check out and things like that. And, and what we, ba- what we base it on is like, okay, what kind of movies do you like? What kind of TV shows do you like? What kind of books do you like? And, you know, it's almost like the, the comics needs to have the mappings to those different genres. And the fact that if somebody's really into science fiction, then they go pick up Iron Man, but if they're really into superheroes then they go pick up Superman and, you know, and, and all the various, you know, kind of types of totally, I mean, and, and you know, we're all about getting more people involved and spreading the word and, and staying positive with so it. So I'll even plug a book that's not even Marvel. I all think right. The Killer, yeah. Volume 1 and 2, that Archaea Press is yeah. publishing is awesome. That's a good book. Great that's a really book. good book. Yeah, totally. Cool. Really great book. Yeah. And, you know, I, I walked out of C2E2 with both of those hardcovers, and by the time my flight for Chicago to New York was over. I'd read both books. Yeah, that, that's isn't that the best good. when you were reading the book you got at the con on the way home and it just uh, it's yeah. It, yeah, very cool. Very cool. So um Excellent. Well, I think we've taken up enough of your time. Um, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to talk, though, um, and to hear more about the motion comics, you know, kind of process. No, thanks like for that. the opportunity. Yeah. This has been great. And yeah. you know, if if it drives a few more people to the content space, that's great. But if if it even opens up their idea to like hey, maybe I'll check that out or check yeah. out the trailers. I think, you know, I have at least one one small victory. <laughs> yeah, totally. So everyone should go to Marvel, marvel.com slash motion comics to, to get the links and information about extremists as well as all future comics and the past ones and stuff like that. And we'll be on the lookout for more. We're look, looking forward to more comics, motion comics. So. Thanks a lot, sir. Yeah, thank I, you very uh, much. Thank you. All right. So big thanks to Ruan for giving us some time out of his day to talk to us about Iron Man Extremist and motion comics in general. Don't forget Iron Man Extremist Episode 3 came out today, May 12th, so head over to marvelcomics.com slash motioncomics to check it out. And head over to ifanboy.com to check out all the great comic book discussion about motion comics, regular comics, all the wonderful stuff we got going on there at ifanboy.com. Uh, you can also email us at contact at ifanboy.com with any questions or suggestions of people you'd like us to interview, or you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash ifanboy. So until next time, I'm Ron Richards, and enjoy your comics. Stop.